This is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW. Welcome to Dollars and Cents. I'm Elaine Scollin, along with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates. They're experts in helping you get out of debt. So we talk a lot about consumer proposals on the show, Blair, but I know that not everybody knows what it is, and this is such a good segment because it's going to explain in detail, if you don't know, if you're a new uh, listener to the show, what a consumer proposal is. And I, I love this, uh, the key part of it is you can cons- consolidate your, your debt without a loan or interest costs. And it's, and it's pretty unique, um, and super powerful, uh, that, uh, licensed insolvency trustee Blair Manton, is going to explain it all to us. Go ahead, Blair. Yeah, that, that's right, Elaine. So this one, um, you know, I kind of consider a bit of a back-to-basics segment. So we've been doing the show for a long time, but as you said, we may have some listeners who've just joined us, you know, in the past, you know, weeks or months, and we've referenced consumer proposals a lot. Um, but let's spend some time today just really talking about what is a proposal, what are the steps, and what can it do for you? Um, and, you know, just, just to start off, and you gave a, a really good intro there, Elaine, and a consumer proposal, it's a means of consolidating your debt, but you don't have to borrow. So when a lot of people think about debt consolidation, they think about marching off to the bank and getting a loan to pay off all of their other debts and then paying the bank back. And yeah, that's an option to consolidate for sure. But quite often people have difficulty qualifying for it, or maybe the debts are even so high that they can't afford to pay off a consolidation loan in a reasonable period of time. So what a consumer proposal allows you to do, it allows you to settle your debts for less than you owe by making a deal with your creditors and consolidating your debts into one manageable, usually monthly payment. So you don't have to resort to bankruptcy. This is the way you can reduce your debts, stop all the future interest, um, and allow yourself to move forward with a sense of comfort, as we always say, you know, a sense of optimism and hope about the future of your finances. And I just want to throw in here, too, that it's really important, if you don't know what a consumer proposal is, only a licensed insolvency trustee can facilitate that for you. This isn't something that some guy on the corner at a, you know, paycheck store or whatever can do for you. A licensed insolvency trustee is the only one because you, because you all are so, um, encompassed by the law and there's very specific ways of doing it. That's exactly right, Elaine. So, you know, first off, people don't need any referrals to go and see a licensed insolvency trustee. You don't need somebody to represent you. You know, if you start to Google consumer proposal, you might find a bunch of advisors who aren't trustees who are trying to sell consumer proposals. And all they're selling essentially is an introduction to a licensed insolvency trustee, which you can get for free. So your best bet is to come directly to a consumer proposal, uh, sorry, to, to a licensed insolvency trustee for a consumer proposal. And as you alluded to, Elaine, it's the most powerful debt option that's out there because it can cover everything from credit cards, bank overdrafts, payday loans, lines of credit, and even, and most people don't know this, but even government debts like your student loans and any debts to Canada Revenue Agency for taxes or maybe CERB overpayments or different things like that, which we know we're going to see a lot more of in the future. Um, And another great thing with a consumer proposal is it gives you protection. So it's the same protection as if you had filed the bankruptcy. So most people know, or they, at least they, they think they know, if you go into bankruptcy, you know, things have to stop against you. Any court actions, all those collection calls, wage seizures. Well, you get that same protection if 
you file a consumer proposal, but you haven't had to file a bankruptcy. Now, is there a specific amount of time that you have to have it done by, or how does that work? Yeah, a consumer proposal. So as we mentioned, it's usually a monthly payment, um, and the monthly payments can't extend beyond 60 months. So the maximum term of a consumer proposal is five years or 60 months, as I said, and you can pay it off sooner than that term, which is actually quite powerful. So, you know, if you do a consumer proposal now and say your payment is $150 a month, but next year you get a great job and you're able to double that payment to, to $300 a month, well, your proposal is going to be done in half the time as usual. You don't pay any penalty to get it done sooner. You just put things behind you more quickly. And that can be just so powerful when you think about, you know, if you're carrying a little bit of debt on a credit card, even something like $6,000 of debt can be 40 years of minimum payments. So a proposal by law can't be any longer than five years. And quite often, it's quicker than that, because people are able to pay it off more quickly than they anticipate. And just before we get to the steps of making one in this province, what's the parameters in terms of the size of debt? You know, it's pretty broad. Um, the proposal is eligible for anybody who owes at least $1,000, which, you know, is a pretty low bar these days, uh, with a maximum of $250,000. So that encompasses, you know, just about, um, I won't say all, but most of the consumer debt situations that I see, it's been between, you know, 1000 to 250000 The most common is in the range of about twenty-five dollars to $50,000 of debt, whether it's credit cards, income taxes, student loans, or whatnot. Uh, you can still do a proposal if your debts are more than $250,000, but it's a different kind of proposal. It's not a consumer proposal anymore and some different rules apply, which we won't go into today. Okay, fair enough. Um, and I just want to mention, too, before we go into the, the sort of the general steps that you can take, um, Sands & Associates, if any of this information is resonating with you and you think you want to take some action, uh, which I recommend you do if you're thinking about it, just even to find out a little bit more and talk to somebody, I'm going to give you the phone number. It's 1-800-660-3030. That's to set up an appointment uh, as well as find an office near you. Of course, we've always been saying that, but at this point we're really setting up appointments and to do these meetings virtually is that right Blair Absolutely, yeah. So there's uh, since March of the pandemic, we've been helping more clients than ever with things over Zoom or over the telephone. We're signing documents electronically, um, so we're still fully operational as an essential service. Okay, great. So let's talk about those steps then that it uh, takes to do a consumer proposal in this province. Yeah, you know, step one is probably the hardest one. That's to reach out. So step one is to connect with Sands and Associates to meet with one of our representatives, either myself or one of my colleagues, a licensed insolvency trustee or a qualified estate manager, uh, where we'll sit down and we'll do a free and confidential consultation. Uh, we want to sit down, we want to understand, I guess sit down virtually these days, uh, understand and assess your financial situation and discuss to you all of the options that are available um, to resolve your debt. So a proposal might be a great fit for someone that sits down with us uh, in one situation. Uh, another situation might not be so dire and we can just give them a little bit of budgetary coaching. Uh, maybe someone else, we need to, to coach someone, here's how you refinance a mortgage to deal with your debts. So we don't automatically default to a consumer proposal. We have to look at things like your income, your family size, uh, your objectives, and all other considerations just to make sure the proposal is going to be the right option, it's affordable, and it's set up from success from the start.
Nice. And again, you don't need a referral to come and see you. And sitting down or, or virtually sitting down with you, uh, the consultation, the initial consultation, absolutely free of charge. And I love this part that it's without obligation. So if you sit down yes. and go, oh, no, this is not for me. I'm not. And you want to walk out literally at that point, you certainly can. Or you can come up with some other options, which I love the fact that you guys, you know, just give people a, a bunch of different ways of dealing with their situation because quite honestly everybody's situation is pretty unique right mm -hmm. well that's what's so interesting about being a trustee is yeah there's no two two days that are the same because behind every death situation there's a family there's circumstances there's a bunch of things that have happened to get someone to this point so you know the consultation is free but it's also free of judgment you're not going to feel like a bad person because you're in debt you know all we do every day is help people that are in debt and we do it without any sort of judgment or making you feel bad we just want to help you um, you know achieve a better tomorrow so, yeah, it's no referral required. You just give us a call or visit us on the website. And, you know, we're even doing meetings same day quite a bit these days. Nice. So let's say we decide that, yeah, this is the best uh, uh, step forward. Do a consumer proposal. What do we do then? So the second thing, uh, after we've had that meeting, we'll get you to fill out um, some documents for us, give us some basic information, uh, and then we'll prepare your proposal. So once we understand who you owe money to and approximately how much, once we understand your monthly budget, what you can afford to pay back, and if you have any other assets we need to consider, uh, we'll prepare the official filing documents, and then we'll have an online meeting either over the telephone or over Zoom, uh, Microsoft Teams or whatever, uh, where you can sign the documents electronically. Uh, what happens from that day, and this can be as soon as, you know, literally a couple days after the initial consultation, if someone is pretty organized and give us the information right away, we can turn around documents very quickly. And as soon as you sign those documents, you're immediately protected. Your creditors are prohibited from charging you any further interest and are not allowed to contact you for any payments. Your trustee essentially steps in the middle between you and your creditors and enforces the ceasefire because what happens with a proposal, like any proposal in life, it can either be accepted or rejected. Now, 95% of the time, a consumer proposal that's made is accepted as it's filed. So it's a really high, high probability of success. But under the law, there's a 45-day voting period. So when someone sits down and signs those documents, that's day one of the 45-day voting period. And at the end of the 45-day voting period, the trustee uh, will phone you or send you a letter saying, you know what, the proposal's been approved as filed, and let's continue on and get you to make those payments. Um, what's great about a consumer proposal is we don't need unanimity of all of your debts to say yes. So if you might owe five people uh, a sum of money, and you know three of them really want to, to accept this proposal, but two of them don't, as long as those three people have a majority of your debt by dollar value, everybody is forced to abide by the terms of the consumer proposal. So you don't need to worry if one of your debts says, no way, no how, would I ever compromise on this debt? Well, as long as the majority of the creditors feel that, that they do want to compromise, um, you're able to proceed with the consumer proposal and get it approved. Excellent. And, the, and, what, and then what, Blair? Well, once the proposal is approved, the next step is you fulfilling the terms. So once you sign the proposal, you stop making any debt payments, um, and then you start making payments on the consumer proposal. And we're going to get through a couple examples, I hope, if we have time, but the payments are significantly lower. So generally, people are in a much better financial situation because they're paying a whole lot less per month on the proposal than they were paying on their debts. They keep control of all of their assets. They do their taxes normally. The only thing they have to do other than make that proposal payment is to attend two financial counseling sessions, which people get huge value out of these financial counseling sessions. They talk to you about credit rebuilding, about life after the proposal, how you move forward with great financial habits, trying to make it a one-time only thing uh, that you have to do a proposal. 
Okay, well, let's, in the last minute and a half that we've got, let's go to those examples, Blair, that you alluded to. Yeah, thrilled to do so. So these are all very recent examples for us. Um, so one that we've worked with recently was someone with about $41,000 of consumer debt. So right, uh, kind of in the most common band of debt that we see. Uh, and we were able to settle that for $350 a month um, over 60 months. So they were paying back $21,000 with no interest, inclusive of all charges, no extra fees to the trustee ever. Um, so they came in owing $41,000 plus interest. They walked out uh, owing $21,000, no interest, and a payment of three fifty a month that goes away after five years or sooner if they can pay a little bit more. Wow, that's quite something. Mm-hmm. Oh, it even gets better, Elaine. I've got, I've got one with a bigger reduction, too. A couple here. Okay, okay good. Can I do one more? Yeah, please do. Okay, so this is a self-employed individual, and he had debts around 43000 This included tax debt, which is quite often common for a self-employed person. We filed a proposal that got it down to $13,800 total, so reducing it by nearly 70% monthly payments of just $230 a month, so completely life-changing for this person. Completely life-changing. So if this is resonating with you and you want to take some action and you want to sit down with somebody uh, to see if your situation fits a consumer proposal, this is the number again. It's 1-800-661-3030 to get an appointment with someone from Sands & Associates as well as to find an office near you. They're literally located all over British Columbia. You're listening to Dollars & Cents with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates, helping you get out of debt. Although it might be offered with the best of intentions, there's a lot of bad financial advice out there. And I think anybody can attest to just watching television, listening to the radio. There's all kinds of stuff out there that you think, oh, that sounds like a good idea. But the good thing about Blair Mountain is that he knows better than a lot of people that when it comes to money matters and dealing with debt, there are an awful lot of pitfalls to avoid. And every day, Sands & Associates talks to people across the province who are looking for debt help and expertise. So, Blair, when offered financial advice, specifically or in general, what's the first thing that you would do? Well, thanks for the question, Elena. And I'm really happy to give a pretty straight answer is the first thing you do if someone tries to give you financial advice is you consider the source. So, you know, sometimes friends and family, they don't give us the best advice and it could be completely unintentional, but they just might simply not have all the facts. So the number of individuals I have in my office who say, well, you know, my brother told me this or my sister or my dad or, you know, my friend said, you know, there's nothing I can do with tax debt. Or my friend said, you know, my wife and my husband, you know, everybody's responsible for everybody's debt. There's just a lot of misconceptions that are out there. So you definitely need to make sure you're getting professional advice. First off, uh, even if there's someone well-meaning, they just might not have all the insights that are relevant to your specific situation. And if it is coming from a professional that you're getting advice, just make sure, is it the right person to be giving you this advice? You know, a little bit um, jokingly here, but you wouldn't ask your dentist to look at your car or you wouldn't take your taxes to your doctor. So I'm sometimes surprised uh, the individuals that, that people do take financial advice from. You know, essentially, they might not be aware of a licensed insolvency trustee, but you do need to be aware that there are people that can help you figure out um, how to deal with your debts. And there's other folks that might be well-meaning, might still be part of the financial industry altogether, but would really have no specific idea about insolvency because they've never faced it or perhaps a client has never faced it. 
you know, even for myself, I worked with one of the biggest accounting firms uh, in the world for a number of years, and I had no idea about consumer proposals or personal bankruptcies, even though I worked in corporate restructuring. It just wasn't something a part of my day-to-day life. And it's only when it impacted me personally, if someone I really cared about had a debt problem, I realized exactly how much I had to learn. And I was already a financial professional with a large accounting firm. So if I really didn't have a good grounding, the average person trying to give you advice, you know, probably doesn't have a very solid grounding and might, un- you know, unwittingly, unknowingly be sending you down a path that's not the best path for you. And then when you do get this advice or you hear something and then you go online to research it a little bit more, then again, you have to be so careful on where this information is coming from. Yeah, again, it's coming back to consider the source, you know, who's giving you the information and do they have a vested interest? You know, sometimes things can seem too good to be true, and it's because they are. There's promises that are being made to you that once you've committed to something or paid some fees, you'll find out there's actually nothing backing those promises up. So definitely consider the source online, even doubly so, uh, when it's coming from a a person that you might trust. Okay, so let's talk about um, the, the common types of financial professionals that are out there that you might suggest people, folks with, uh, uh, connect with, rather, on various money issues or matters. Exactly. There is the big four of financial professionals that I definitely recommend. You might not need every one of these at every stage in your life. Some people will, but for the most part, it's just really important to be aware of who's out there and what they can do for you. Uh, So number one on our list is a financial planner. So, you know, I often meet with people that are struggling to bridge the gap of their income and their expenses, and they don't have a long-term goal, a long-term view of where they're heading to. And there's the old adage that if you don't know where you're going, any path is going to get you there. And the odds are you're going to end up to, you know, an outcome that's not the the best one for you. You're not going to have that, you know, stress-free retirement with a whole lot of money put away unless you start pretty early with a financial plan and you make some choices, and sometimes they're not that hard of choices, but they require a focus um, to help you manage your income and your savings and ensure you're going to have an acceptable standard of living upon retirement. So a financial planner, I encourage people, you know, anybody new starting off in the working world to have those meetings early on, you know, even consider using a robo-advisor, you know, an online financial planner. The most important thing is just to start doing it, just to start putting money away. The best practice is up to 10% of your take-home pay saved for long-term growth. You're never going to regret Um, having that plan in place as early as you can in life. What about an accountant, Blair? How important are they? Well, it depends on your situation. For anybody who is self-employed, an accountant is absolutely critical uh, because, yeah, you can do your own taxes with CRA each year, uh, but there's a reason why accountants do charge the fees that they charge. They've got to be up to date on all of the new legislation every year. Um, they're going to help you negotiate or sorry, navigate, avoid any pitfalls with your tax filings um, and help you get set up right from the start. So if you're self-employed and you're not compliant with CRA, nothing can shut you down more quickly than CRA deciding they're going to start freezing your bank account or they're going to intercept money your clients are paying to you. They can literally choke off your revenue at the source if you're not compliant with CRA on a regular basis. So for most individuals you know, who work a T4 job, who don't have a whole lot of complexity, they may not need an accountant now. They you know, may need one periodically if you're doing significant transactions or something. But for anybody that's self-employed, an accountant should definitely be on your speed dial. It should be someone you're checking in with at least a few times during the year. Okay. So number three, and, and most, uh, most lawyers would say they should be number one, but number three <laughs> is a lawyer. How big, a, how big a role should they be playing in this? 
Well, this is definitely not an everyday thing. You know, very few people are going to have a lawyer on retainer all the time, you know, ready to answer any questions for them. I don't think it's someone you need necessarily on your speed dial as much as your accountant if you're self-employed. But if you are going through certain life events, it's definitely the case that getting professional assistance can save you a whole lot of of heartache and and pain later than if you try to do things yourself. Um, So a couple of significant things where you would want to get a lawyer involved is at the beginning of a marriage or cohabitation, um, you know, you may want to set out a cohabitation agreement. You may may want to be really clear about assets, about if the relationship doesn't work out, the time to do that is before you start cohabitating or get married. Uh, Also on a separation or a divorce, you know, can you download forms online to try to do it yourself? Yeah, you can, uh, but I wouldn't say it's the smartest thing to do. Uh, Again, there's a lot of intricacies of court practice in BC, and you're generally better served by having a professional work with you. Uh, When you're starting up a business, it can be important for a lawyer if it's an incorporated company to help you do the incorporation correctly. Um, and then another uh, sort of, you know, planning, if you're thinking about wills and estates, what sort of legacy, um, you know, what should happen if you were to pass unexpectedly, a lawyer is the person that would sit down with you to work through all of those things. So depending on your stage, depending on what significantly, uh, what significant things are happening in your life, a lawyer or somebody for a period of time would be very important, but typically not someone on an ongoing basis you're going to be speaking with all the time because you probably just can't afford to do that. Okay. So let's talk about your Bailey Will, Wick, your warehouse license insolvency trustee so yeah and it really think well i would agree elaine and of course i'm a little <laughs> bit biased but uh, yeah. I a bit facetiously and that you know my issue is there's just not enough people know about a licensed insolvency trustee so a lot of people know about a financial planner they know about an account they know about a lawyer but if they find themselves in debt they often don't know where to turn and they don't know that a licensed insolvency trustee is federally licensed, federally regulated, an all-inclusive code of ethics. Um, you know, you have recourse. If anything didn't go according to plan, you know, you, you can basically talk to the LIT's regulator. But an LIT is someone that's going to be able to help you navigate any situation where you're feeling uncomfortable about your debt. So it's not a foregone conclusion that if you sit down with a licensed insolvency trustee, you're going to be filing a bankruptcy or a consumer proposal. Uh, you know, a majority of people that we sit down with were able to help them either figure things out under their own steam or help them perhaps refinance or find another solution. Um, but we're going to give you all that information at no charge. We're going to give you the straight good, just like we do on this show every week, Elaine, of, you know, what are your legal rights and remedies when it comes to a debt? It's going to be specific to your situation, to your debts on a case-by-case basis. What does it mean to you? We're going to help you understand whether a debt is collectible. So even though a collection agent might be threatening you on a 10-year-old debt, we'll sit down with you and say, well, the statute of limitations is actually two years in BC. Here's all the little things about how well you might have some uncertainty versus not. But we're going to arm you with that information so you can make a better decision. We're going to tell you what you can do if you just can't pay your debts. You know, do you need to formally file or what can be done to you if you know someone takes legal action against you? But essentially and all encompassing, we're going to give you free, impartial advice that's going to give you the knowledge uh, and information about the debt solutions that are going to help you out of a tough situation. I want to throw in here, too, before we talk about the red flags when it comes to these professionals, uh, I want to give you the phone number for Sands and Associates. They have offices all over British Columbia. It's 1-800-661-3030. Their website, Sands 
wealth-trustee.com. Uh, you can set up that first opportunity to sit down and start to figure out your best next steps if you're feeling like you need to do something that things aren't quite gelling the way they should be. This is a terrific place to start. So let's go back to those red flags, Blair. Um, what are the things that we need to pay attention to or should show up when we're dealing with these, uh, these four uh, financial people? Yeah, anytime you're dealing with a financial professional, I think first off, you got to trust your gut. You know, generally our intuition, sometimes we don't listen to it when we should. So really, if that little voice inside you or that feeling in your stomach is telling you something that doesn't feel comfortable, there could be something there. And that's a good indication you want to dive a little bit deeper. Um, I think you really want to make sure that the professional take the time to listen to you and understand your situation. Or do they seem in a hurry and they're just trying to, you know, fit you into a, a pretty predefined box, so to speak? Um, do they make the time and space to let you ask your questions and fully understand the answers? Um, you know, do you feel like you're being engaged in high pressure sales tactics or aggressive sales tactics? Is this, you know, a limited time offer? Well, if you don't sign today, I'm not going to spend any more time on this. Um, you know, these are all the types of things you'd never get from Sands and Associates. But when we hear from other uh, clients who have dealt with other debt health professionals, sometimes they felt pressured to sign in that moment. Um, there was a false sense of urgency that was created. Uh, you know, you also need to look at who you're working with. What are their credentials? You know, are they accredited either in BC or across the whole country? And then finally, if something seems too good to be true. So, you know, if someone's promising you, you know, instant credit repair or we can help you reduce your debt, it's not going to hit your credit at all. Uh, that's just not going to happen ever in this world. If you have to restructure your debt, the price of restructuring your debt is that your credit does take a hit. It's certainly more short term and less severe than people think, but there's no way to restructure your debt without your credit taking even a partial hit. So any promise that you can restructure your debt without a credit impact is just completely false and it should send you running the other way. Yeah. And I like I like the fact that you've you've included that option. Like get a second opinion. If this doesn't feel right, if this information doesn't feel good, there's nothing standing in your way to getting a second opinion. And it's such a good idea in a, in a situation like this. Oh, absolutely true, Elaine. And, you know, sometimes even if you've met with an LIT, for example, and you didn't feel, you know, so comfortable in that meeting, we've been the second opinion for so many clients who've met with a different LIT. They've come to us and said, okay, we feel more comfortable. We understand things a little bit better now. We're, we're good to go. But definitely any professional you're dealing with, they're not the only game in town. So it really is, do you feel that connection? Do you feel that caring, that empathy? You know, being in debt is not a comfortable situation. You want to make sure whoever you're dealing with is going to be understanding and is going to have, you know, the professional qualifications to help you deal with the situation, not spin wheels for a number of months and leave you in a worse spot than when you started. Yeah, such good advice, Blair. Also, check out their website, Sands & Associates. just gives you so much good information right off the bat. You don't even have to call anybody, and you can access this at sands-trustee.com or give them a call at 1-800-661-3030 and set up that first meeting as well as find an office near you. And I just want to remind you, they've got offices all over British Columbia. You're listening to Dollars and Cents. Is it a bump in the road or a financial sinkhole? And the only way to know the difference is look at the key debt warning signs that just you just shouldn't ignore. So, Blair, every day you and your team at Sands & Associates talk to consumers and small business owners who are looking for good debt advice as well as solutions. In your experience, do many people arrive at the conclusion that they need debt help for the same reason? Well, definitely, Elaine, there's a lot of commonality uh, with the clients that come to see us. And what's also really interesting, too, is the balance between feeling in control of your debt 
versus death being in control of you can change very, very quickly. Sometimes things can really unravel in the space of a few months. Uh, sometimes things have been building over a number of years, but then there's some sudden shock and then things suddenly become a a crisis, but a lot of people don't realize how close they actually are uh, to a financial crisis until they're, you know, essentially in the middle of it. Um, you know, no situations are exactly alike. Uh, what we do every year at Sands and Associates is we survey um, our past clients and we try to ask those insights, you know, about how could how could you recognize your problem and looking back in hindsight, you know, what is clear to you now that perhaps wasn't clear in that moment. Um, and what also becomes clear too is that very few people actually seek help at the first sign of financial difficulty. It's only 5% of individuals said, yeah, as soon as I knew I was in trouble, I reached out, I got some help, I got a plan, I didn't suffer. For 95% of people, it's the opposite. They suffer, they flail about, they're not sure where to go, they end up being incredibly stressed out. And sometimes that can extend for up to two years. So when someone says, you know, I've had your number, I've been wanting to call for about 18 months, I say, yep, you're right in the ballpark of what typically people do suffer for that period of time and why they suffer what people told us is they're trying to figure out a solution on their own so they want to manage their debts independently that was the most common reason why people didn't reach out for help right away now second to that was they thought there was no solution to their situation so what i'm so proud of and what we do in this show is we really give people the information they need to understand there's a solution to every single debt problem you could be facing but the vast majority of people just think that it's hopeless they either don't know about a proposal at all or they have a whole conception of what a bankruptcy would mean. Um, so the education we're able to give, you know, it really can be life-changing. Um, oftentimes people don't know where to seek help. So they don't know that the trustee exists. They don't think it's a person that, that can actually help them rehabilitate. Um, and then finally, just the embarrassment or the shame. And this is really universal. There's no one that I've met that's walked into my office, you know, incredibly proud of being $50,000 in debt. They might have been proud of all their achievements prior to that problem and proud of, you know, their future upside. But, you know, being in debt, it can really hit your self-worth, um, you know, your ability to be kind to yourself, your self-esteem, and all that can manifest itself even physically with health issues. So, you know, not getting help, it's really not a long-term strategy and it can just get worse and worse. Now, I know because of how often and how many people you've talked to in your career, you have some really good ideas, some first things that you want people to be on the lookout for as potential signs that their finances may need some closer attention before they get to that really difficult stage where they're in trouble and they need help now. What are some of the things that people, you know, the average person could just look at and just sort of double check and see how they're doing? Mm -hmm. Yeah, some of these might be might sound pretty common sense, and that's okay. Some might be surprising. The first, I think this is, you know, the most common sense of all is, are you surviving or thriving based on your budget? So having a balanced budget is not surprising, but that's really the basic recommendation to manage your debt. But you need to consider, is your budget revolving around your debt? You know, how much of your household income is spent making your debt payments each month? Uh, if it's all of your household disposable income, are you not saving any money at that point? Do you have any emergency savings? Do you have the insurances that you need if something were to happen? You know, if you can't afford to get contents insurance because you're paying all your money to debt payments and suddenly there's a flood, a fire, or something like that, that can be financially catastrophic. Uh, what resources would you have if there was an unexpected repair or a sudden temporary dip in income? A lot of folks that I see, their budget is stretched just to the max, uh, and they use credit as a safety net. Uh, but that's really not a long-term plan because eventually, um, you know, the credit could be pulled back at any point or might hit its limit, uh, and then it would be a real challenge for you. 
Okay. So um, savings and adequate insurances can make a big difference on how anyone handles a financial emergency. But credit as a safety net can be super comforting. But it isn't ideal, uh, is it? No, definitely not. The better habit to get into is the idea of paying yourself first and figuring out a bit of a hierarchy. So, you know, your first thing is you need to make sure you're saving for that emergency fund every month. But after then, you want to think about, you know, retirement planning, a TFSA, a tax-free savings account, for example, or maybe uh, education savings plans if you have kids at that certain age. But if your budget's at the point where essentially you're only making ends meet by either going further into debt um, or you're struggling to just make the minimum payments each month, you're not going to be able to achieve your financial goals because your budget is just going to constrain you too much. Got it. Okay. And before we go to um, to move on to the other warning signs that you want to talk about, I just want to remind folks to go to the website for Sands and Associates at sands-trustee.com. It's filled with great questions and really good answers. And if you want to give them a call and set up that, that first appointment, easy to do. Their number is 1-800-661-3030. And of course, uh, they're super accessible, have offices all over British Columbia. So let's stay with the warning signs, Blair. What's the last one that you you think is super important? Yeah, another really important one here is what we call the minimum payment trap. So, you know, we've talked about if your budget is so stretched because you're only making minimum payments, but you really need to understand making minimum payments, though your credit rating might still look pretty good, that's one of the biggest warning signs that you're not on a good financial plan. You're on a financial plan that's going to keep you in debt for many, many years. So we talk a lot on on this show about, you know, various examples, uh, you know, a $6,000 debt, even an amount like that, can be up to 40 years to pay off at just minimum payments. And that was a really key warning sign by uh, by uh, clients who responded to our most recent survey. Only making minimum payments was 60% of people's main warning sign. That's how they knew they had a problem is they looked at their credit balances each month. They were straining like crazy to get all the minimum payments paid. And then the next month, they saw their debts had went down by just a few dollars, just maybe 10% of what they had paid. The 90% was payments in, charges out, and it really wasn't drawing down their balance. So the minimum payment trap is just so important to avoid. Now, is this where you always like to talk about the rule of 60 as, as, as a good tool for folks? Yeah, I think that's a good a good uh, little math test to do is to say, you know, if you think you don't have a debt problem, okay, take the amount of debt that you have, your credit cards, lines of credit, student loans, income taxes, things other than a mortgage or a car loan, take that amount, forget about the interest, but divide it by 60 and just see what that monthly payment looks like. So if it was $30,000 of debt divided by 60, that's $500 a month. And just see, okay, if I really wanted to get out of debt over 60 months, forgetting about the interest, could I pay $500 a month? And if that seems like, oh my gosh, I couldn't pay $200 a month, that's a big indicator that whatever you're doing, even if you're just paying the minimum payments, you're not going to get out of debt keeping that same behavior. You're going to need to get help ideally from a licensed insolvency trustee. And are there any other warning signs that folks can watch out for once they realize they're sort of moving into that next level of working on a plan to pay off their debt that we can finish the segment off with? Yeah, a couple of really important ones. Um, So one is using assets to pay down your debt. So not always a warning sign. Sometimes, you know, if your eyes wide open could be what you want to do. But many times when I see it, it's people didn't have eyes wide open. They used an asset to pay off their debt because they thought they would lose it. And in reality, it was a protected asset. So the common ones, the most common one that breaks my heart is cashing in RRSPs. 
So if someone there is listening, thinking about cashing in their RRSPs to pay their debts because they figure they're going to lose them anyway if they're sued or if they have to file a bankruptcy, they wouldn't lose them regardless of a bankruptcy or even if they were sued. But if you cash them in to pay your debts, they're gone at that point. You can't easily get them back and you've probably got yourself a bit of a tax liability as well. So be very careful using assets to pay debt. Um, The other is just to be very careful about trying to borrow yourself out of a situation. So, you know, sometimes you'll consolidate all your debt together and you'll decide to refinance your mortgage, for example, but you haven't changed your spending patterns or the underlying issue that caused the problem. So then suddenly the debts go back up again. Um, Or in other cases, you're looking to consolidate your debts, but you end up bringing in a co-signer, for example. So someone who is not involved in your debts at all, you've now made them fully liable for your co-signed consolidated debts. Both of those are very risky strategies, something consumers should definitely think twice before pursuing. All right. Uh, if you want, if you've got more questions and you want some answers, the website is great with Sands and Associates at sands-trustee.com or give them a call. Set up that first appointment, uh, 1-800-661-3030 uh, and get started on that plan. You're listening to Dollars and Cents. So this segment's all about bankruptcy. If you're thinking you may file for bankruptcy, here is a whole bunch of things you should know and shouldn't do. Uh, Blair Manton says a lot of folks contemplating personal bankruptcy to deal with their debts worry about how it's going to impact them. And that's what this segment's all about. We're going to talk about, or he's going to explain a few bankruptcy basics as well as planning considerations leading up to filing. So Blair, can you start right off the bat by explaining a bit about what personal bankruptcy is and how it works in British Columbia? Because it is a little different than in other provinces. Yeah, absolutely, Elaine. And before we go into some of the details, just, you know, two points to really call out right off the top is bankruptcy is not the only legal debt solution in Canada. So you could have other options. We talk a lot in this show about people that come to see a licensed insolvency trustee thinking bankruptcy is their option. They end up filing a consumer proposal. So definitely keep in mind, it's not the only option that's available. But if you do decide to file for bankruptcy, it's generally nowhere near as bad, as scary or as difficult as people fear that it may be. So bankruptcy is a legal remedy. It allows you to have your debts forgiven and achieve a financial fresh start. Uh, In Canada, it's a federally governed uh, procedure. It's under the Bankruptcy and Solvency Act, and it's only accessible through working with a licensed insolvency trustee. So you don't need to hire a lawyer. You don't need anybody else. You just sit down with a licensed insolvency trustee. Um, You just have to owe more than $1,000, not be able to pay the debt uh, as it as it becomes due. And the benefit of filing for personal bankruptcy is you get forgiveness for just about every type of debt, including credit card debt, overdrafts, tax debt, ICBC, payday loans, student loans, personal debts, just about everything, you name it. Uh, You can protect assets and income that otherwise might be vulnerable to seizure by creditors. So if you're being threatened with a wage seizure, if you file for bankruptcy, you have protection. That can't happen. You're protected under the legislation. Uh, You get a relief from the stress of people calling you, harassing you, again, threatening legal action. Once you're in bankruptcy, you are protected. And you get a clear debt-free date. So when you file a bankruptcy, right in your initial documents is the date when the bankruptcy is going to finish. And that's usually as little as nine months from the day you sign those documents. So you know exactly the goal that you're working towards and when you'll be able to have that financial first start. So what are some of the common things that people worry about uh, with the bankruptcy process? Well, a couple of things people think right off the bat is that there's some limitations on the types of debt that can be included. So a lot of people think government debt, 
student loans, even sometimes personal debts, well, those must be kept outside of the bankruptcy process, and that's not true at all. So the Canada Revenue Agency, they've got no special status in a bankruptcy. They're the same as every other creditor. So any amount you you have owing to the government or again to anybody personally, corporately, whatever, all of your debts are included in a bankruptcy. There's a very small limitation. If there was a debt, you know, owed due to fraud or if it was alimony or child support, those are kept outside of a bankruptcy, but those are very few and far between. In general, somebody filing for bankruptcy should expect that all of their debts are going to be resolved and discharged at the end of the proceeding. Okay. Um, Do you want to talk about the limits around eligible debts or just go into how long bankruptcy can last? Yeah, let's talk about how long it lasts. I think that's that's important. So, Yeah, in most cases, if you've never been bankrupt before, bankruptcy is going to run for nine months from the day you sign the bankruptcy documents to when you're released and you have no further obligations to the bankrupt estate. Um, So what happens during the bankruptcy is instead of paying your debt, uh, you deal with the trustee instead of your creditors and you have to complete a few duties and pay some basic administration fees. Usually administration fees are $200 for each month that you're in bankruptcy. So over a nine-month period, you'd pay a total of $1,800 which for most people is a whole lot less than they were being asked to repay on their debts. And that payment is gone after nine months, let alone, you know, the multiple years they might have to be been making minimum payments if they were going to try to pay off the debts in full. Uh, the duty someone has to focus on if they file a bankruptcy is they have to attend two private one-on-one financial counseling sessions. So this is more of a benefit than an obligation telling you how to rebuild your credit, how to do a good household budget, trying to put you on a good path for the future. Uh, They have to submit a budget or their statement of income and expenses, tracking the household spending and income on a monthly basis. So part of bankruptcy is financial rehabilitation. So we need to understand, um, is the household structured for success going forward? Are there some additional counseling we can provide? And that's accomplished by reviewing the budgets. Uh, there could be some extra payments required if a person is earning significant amount of money, amounts of money in the bankruptcy. Uh, they're no longer able to just pay $200 a month. They might have to pay more. And those are more complicated situations. You re- review all that in detail with a trustee. And sometimes it's more attractive to do a consumer proposal instead of a bankruptcy. Uh, but that is one of the key parts of the bankruptcy is to understand you're reporting your income and might have to pay a little bit based on the income. You know, other than that, things people do in bankruptcy, they do a lot without thinking. You know, if you move, let us know if you move when it comes time to file the taxes. Give us the tax information to file for the year of the bankruptcy. But generally, it's a pretty unobtrusive process. You give the budget in each month, you attend the financial counseling sessions, and you make sure the money's in your account each month for the $200 payment. For most people, that's what bankruptcy entails. Okay. I know this is really important to you, Blair, that you talk about the things that you want folks to avoid doing, the the stuff you shouldn't do uh, in the lead up to declaring bankruptcy. Yeah, there's definitely a few pitfalls here, Elaine, and I've just seen, you know, the impact of someone taking an action. They think they're doing the right thing, but it can really come back to bite them and can even expand their problem to include, you know, other members of their family or friends, which is something you always want to avoid. So a couple of really key things here is transferring or selling assets. So if you know you're in a situation where you have a debt problem, you're not going to be able to pay all your debts off in full, you should not be moving any assets out of your name. Um, if you do so, you have to make sure any assets that you sold were for fair market value. You know, If they were sold to a third party, that's great. That's assumed they were paying fair market value. If it was sold to a family member, for example, let's say a vehicle where the black book should be $10,000, you sold it for $5,000, you need to make sure you can document exactly why that was fair market value. Because ostensibly, if you had filed a bankruptcy, for example, and that car was worth $10,000, uh, 
at least some of that car's value should have went to pay back some of the debts. So sometimes people want to protect their assets and, you know, discharge the debts and get rid of them. Um, but, you know, oftentimes the assets that you're trying to protect by moving them out of your name, they might be protected anyway. So a lot of people don't realize there's exemptions if you file for bankruptcy, for a vehicle, as I mentioned, for your tools of the trade, for your household goods, for your furniture. So just be very careful if it's a situation where you know you're not able to pay your debts, uh, you shouldn't be transferring assets, definitely for, for no value. That's just generally a bad thing. But if you do sell an asset, just make sure it's for a fair market value and no one could say you sold it at a price that was too low. So that's an important pitfall. I know that um, uh, this is a natural thing to do is, is there, okay, well, I can pay you, but I can't pay you. So you don't want to sort of selectively decide, right? That's a huge one, Elaine. So that's called making a fraudulent preference. And, you know, it sounds very harsh and you might have no fraudulent intent, but if you owed, you know, Bank of Montreal and Royal Bank money and also mom and dad, and you only paid back mom and dad, that's a problem if you file for bankruptcy because that wasn't fair. You know, your parents got some money back and the banks didn't. And if you were to file for bankruptcy, the trustee might have to go to your parents and say, hey, that money you received, we need that paid back. And, you know, that's not fun for anybody on any side. So the best thing is if you can afford to pay every Everybody pay everybody. If you can't afford to pay everybody, then you want to spread the money equally or just don't pay anybody and decide you're going to restructure your debts. Just don't pay anybody for a period of time. Come and see a trustee and let us administer how the payment should go. And I guess also, too, with that, you know, just wanting to avoid opening the mail and, and not seeing how bad things are. Yeah, you definitely want to keep opening the mail because that might be the only notice you have. Some pretty significant actions being taken against you. There could be court actions. There could be seizures happening against you. So definitely open the mail. If you're not comfortable doing that, bring it into us. We'll open it with you. But you do want to keep your eyes open just so you know what might be coming towards you. Okay. And and closing then, Blair, I just want to remind everybody to check out the website, sands-trustee.com. Uh, such good information on there, lots of good questions and loads and loads of good answers. Or give, give Sands and Associates a call. It's 1-800-661-3030 for that first uh, free consultation. Sit down with somebody, lay out what your situation is. They've got offices all over British Columbia, and of course, they're doing lots of things online as well. You're listening to Dollars and Cents with Blair Mountain from Sands and Associates, helping you get out of debt. You've been listening to Dollars and Cents. See you next time. The proceeding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance <laughs> recital. <laughs> and Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.